1: It took jurors some 27 hours of deliberations after a six-week trial, but in the end, the four defendants in the Commonwealth Edison bribery case were convicted on all counts. Those proceedings will likely have ripple effects all across Illinois on government, on politics, and on ethics, but this weekend we're going to think about those shockwaves and the potential ways to dampen their intensity. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Two former ComEd executives and a clout-heavy lobbyist were found guilty of conspiring to give allies of former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan jobs and contracts, among other things. And uh, Michael McLean, a top Madigan aide, also was convicted. But this case isn't just about ComEd or Speaker Madigan, who's currently also under indictment. This is about a system that's been allowed to continue in this way. So what happens next? Well, more trials for one thing, including possibly cases against Mike Madigan and former Chicago City Council Finance Committee Chairman Alderman Edward Burke, but what can concerned citizens and the government do about all of this? Well, we're going to talk with two of the state's leading advocates for reform, Madeline Dubeck and Elisa Kaplan. Madeline is executive director of the group Change Illinois and Elisa is the executive director of the group Reform for Illinois and so you pretty much know what their, what their expertise is gonna be in. and we're gonna talk about the problems and the possible solutions during this half hour. And thank you both very much for, uh, for being with me for this. When we hear the term bribery, uh, I think most people usually think of money being given to someone in exchange for something else like favorable actions or benefits. But when it comes to the kinds of uh, actions that we saw in the schemes aimed at former house speaker michael madigan that's not exactly what was going on but is it really any different uh, uh madeline we'll start with you uh no it's not really
2: any different craig to to be uh, direct about it um this is uh, as the prosecutors explained a more complicated uh complex byzantine way to go about it but the effect is really the same. They were essentially trying to buy Madigan's favor and um, win his help in positioning their utility company to get whatever it wanted and to to make a tidy profit. And so they gave um, his political captains some money and jobs for no work and, and a number of other schemes. One of the schemes that I think was personally probably most valuable to Speaker Madigan, was barred from coming up in the trial. And that was when John Hooker, one of the defendants and former ComEd chairman Frank Clark, um, sued and stopped independent redistricting from coming to Illinois um, back in 2015.
1: (laughs) And that's something that you've been very much involved in. Uh, uh, Elisa, I know we, I, we all know Michael Madigan is one of the more careful uh, uh, politicians uh, in Illinois. I mean, he he still doesn't use any computers. Um, or and, cell phones. Or your cell phone, yeah. Um, was, and there are a lot of smart people around him. Was this kind of Byzantine uh, scheme in some ways, an attempted loophole or, or an attempt at a loophole around what we would normally think of as you know, garden variety bribery?
3: Well, it's possible that Madigan thought it was legal, I suppose. We'll see what kind of defense he tries to put up. You do have to wonder why he was so careful about everything, if he was sure that everything was on the up and up. But I think what we've learned in this case is that bribery, as Madeline said, isn't always as straightforward as handing over a wad of cash. There are lots of ways to curry favor with elected officials. And um, in this case, what the defendants really were doing was helping Madigan, Maintain and grow his political machine and, you know, distribute the loyalty that gave him all of that power that enabled him to do what he did. So um, regardless of whether you think it was illegal or not, and regardless of certainly the jurors appear to have thought it was illegal and didn't have to think all that hard about it either. um, But uh, it was wrong. And that was the signal that the jurors were sending, that we don't think that this is the way laws should be made in Illinois. And I hope this sends a powerful signal to that effect.
1: Well, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because let's face it, you and I and, and, and Madeline and I for even longer have been having this kind of discussion at various times uh, over, the, over the years. Um, what is it about state government, maybe government in general, that cultivates an atmosphere where we are going to keep having these kinds of conversation. Now, this is jump all, whichever of you wants to take a stab at it first.
2: Well, I, I guess I would say, you know um, it's human nature, a lot of it that you want to find the easiest path to keep your power and stay in control. And that is really what this all gets down to. Um, and until and unless the people of this state get organized and rise up and raise their voices and demand better, like these jurors so eloquently put it after they issued their verdict, um, we should expect more of the same. I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope this is um, a turning point, um, but it will literally take all of us putting pressure on people to change their human nature, to want to keep things as close to their vests and as lucrative for themselves as they possibly can.
1: Uh, I I sometimes, in fact, I just thought of this this morning. This sometimes reminds me of the debate over, over handguns or guns in general, that big things happen. It's a crisis and we talk about it. But for but it seems as if the inertia within the system, uh, or maybe just well practice within the system, that everybody holds on, waits for the wave to die down, and then they go back to normal. Elisa, do, does it seem that way to you?
3: Yeah, and I think the challenges are even greater in this area of ethics reform and anti-corruption reform than the one you're talking about with with gun violence, for example, Um, because in this case, we're asking legislators to make rules that will essentially handcuff themselves. And talk about human nature, it's not in people's nature to want to put restrictions on themselves. And so uh, here you're asking legislators to put restrictions, say, on you know on the, on how they raise money or how they do business, or who's overseeing them. Um, and they're the ones who make the rules. So why should they make stringent rules? It's a lot easier to make rules for everyone else than it is to make rules for yourself. And so as political reformers, that's always one of the greatest challenges that we face is how do you get the rule makers to change the rules that benefit them? Um, And I think Madeline's absolutely right that we have the additional challenge that people, you know, people vote on many different things. They vote on their pocketbooks, they vote on crime, they vote on all sorts of issues. And, and corruption, I think people do instinctively understand that corruption affects them. Certainly these jurors seem to understand it. And I think with a case like ComEd, um, maybe we're getting closer to showing how this can really hit your everyday Illinoisan in the pocketbook, for example, how much you pay on your electric bill. But some of these laws and the solutions that would be required to address these problems they can be complicated and it's not that easy for your everyday person to follow these issues closely understand the details policies understand where legislators might put sneaky loopholes as we saw in the last big ethics bill in 2021. So there there are a number of unique challenges to this area that I think you don't face in other areas of policymaking.
1: So Madeline, how do how do you get people to look at the problem the way you look at it and then the way many people look at it, certainly, like like Elisa said, the jurors in the case.
2: You know, that's the sixty four million dollar question, I think. Uh, we just have to keep um, hammering it home and talking about it and coming up with creative ways to communicate with um, the people of Illinois about it and and ask them to break through what I think is a very severe case of corruption fatigue in this state. You know, Mm -hmm. we are so, so used to this sort of behavior for so, so long that um, we throw up our hands and walk away and worry about how I'm gonna pay that electric bill next month, rather than taking the time to stop and think about what really causes this behavior, what contributes to it, and what do I need to do as a person who cares about the future of the state and the future for my children and grandchildren, you know, what can I do about it? We have to start pressuring our elected officials to respond to this with more than words, with actions, and with some of the laws that Elisa just referenced.
1: I also think about the people involved in some of this, Uh, not ironically, two of the convicted defendants uh, and proma and John Hooker have both been guests on this program. Uh, so was <laughs> so was key prosecution witness Fidel Marquez more than once uh, and same same for Anne proma all comment officials who did not give off an air of the kind of wheeler dealers that we sometimes see uh, lurking in the halls of, uh, of of Springfield in the state capitol. are we seeing? good people getting swept up into a bad system or are we seeing bad behavior simply you know being i don't know accepted as good and normal i mean how do you how do you get respected and in some cases groundbreaking for and promis jury business people ending up felons well I think
2: what is some of the the jurors talked about that very thing after the they were done which was that you know they could they could relate to these some of these de- defendants they understood that they were uh you know normal people quote unquote like you and I who made some bad decisions and went down the wrong path and I would say they did that because they were desperate for uh, some victories and and the system is so corrupted in Springfield that they got to the point where they clearly felt that this was the only way to get it done.
1: yeah, I mean, i I, I would love to think of what or to imagine what the orientation would be for a new you know, utility <laughs> executive. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it, it sounds funny, but, it, but seriously, if you're walking through Springfield and, you know, and you're the, the you're the old CEO talking to the new CEO, do you tell them, look, we got to keep Madigan happy no matter what? I mean, it, it, it seems, cause let's face it, this was going on before Amprimiduri. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> this, this is probably going back several is yes. it built? Is it baked into the pie?
3: It was. I hope it's coming out of the pie after this trial, at least in this specific respect. I mean, God knows there are lots of ways to um to bake corruption into policy. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be seeing new and innovative ones in the future. Um, but I, guess I think we've
1: got another trial coming up too, right? Right. <laughs> we have another
3: trial and, and
1: another company, look, ATT. And,
3: and the, the, Right. And and the feds have been putting Illinois um, elected officials in jail for decades, and we still have more and more scandals. Um, so I don't expect that it will stop here. But I do think that every event like this hopefully makes a difference. Um, back to your question, I think that both of you are absolutely right that these are people who probably got swept into a bad situation. I do have to say that um, they probably knew that this wasn't right. Right? Is there anybody really? Uh, if you go ask Joe on the street, do you think our law should be made by the wealthiest special interest? You know, which is which of the wealthiest special interests can give the speakers? buddies, the most jobs, you know, eventually convinced that it was the best way to get their job done. And that's exactly what has to change. We get asked a lot of questions, Madeline and, and I uh, probably, about, you know, this person's behavior and, you know, did they do something wrong? Did they do something unethical? But in both of our work, I think we're a lot more concerned with systems and structures and creating rules that create incentives for people to behave in ethical ways. Exactly for this reason, because you can't always expect everyone to be a hero and say, "Hey, this doesn't smell right. I'm going to stand up and do something different, or I'm going to resign as CEO because I don't want to because it doesn't pass the smell test." So that's why we need to not so much focus on individual behavior, um, at least you know, leave that to the feds, but focus on changing these policies. And I'll say that something that we've encountered a lot coming from legislators when we've talked about ethics is this is just bad actors. This is a handful of bad apples. I know Madeline's, Madeline's nodding because we've both heard this a dozen times. This is just a handful of bad apples. And if people want to break the law, they're going to break the law and there's nothing that we can do about it. Well, that's just a cop out you know, there's plenty of ways that you can create policies and structure will encourage decent ethical behavior. Um, And we let legislators use that to get themselves off the
1: hook. Elisa, that is the perfect segue for what we're going to talk about next. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's at issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking about how the verdict in the Commonwealth Edison bribery case could shape a renewed debate about public corruption in Illinois. My guests are Elisa Kaplan, Executive Director of the Organization Reform for Illinois, and Madeline Dubeck, Executive Director of the Group Change Illinois. And, you know, depending upon the scandal, we've seen efforts before to, dis- and in fact, both of you have been involved in efforts before to uh, discourage or stop such corruption. Uh, so first, what's been, well, we already talked about what's been stopping it. Let's, let's start talking about what could be done. Madeline, what, how do you change the system so that uh, these things aren't so enticing,
2: Well, I'm going to come back to um, what is uh, the foundation of it all. And I've talked about it before, and I'll be talking about it when I'm taking my last breath. We need to have independent redistricting. There is no greater conflict of interest than Mike Madigan drawing all the districts and picking his voters or whomever happens to be in power at a particular moment in time. Um, Back in the 1990s, I was a journalist at the Daily Herald covering redistricting, and it was Republicans who won control of the mapping. Both parties do it. Um, We need to level the playing field and fix the foundation of our government by taking map drawing out of the hands of politicians. Second thing I would toss out there that I think would make a huge difference is um, loosening up the rules, actually, that would allow for legislation to be debated and voted upon. Right now, the power for all of that is in the hands of two people in the legislature, the Speaker of the House and the Illinois Senate President. And I think we would have a much better system and much better policy outcomes if um, a lawmaker could demonstrate that a couple dozen people from both parties supported a piece of legislation, then it should automatically get a hearing, a debate and a vote.
1: But in your experience, in any of your experiences, do the debates themselves really change minds, or is it the stuff that's happening back in the offices that really make a difference, Elisa?
3: Well, Madeline looked like she wanted to answer that.
2: Oh, we're <laughs> I mean, gonna, uh, we're I, mean I, think it's, I think it's both. You know, of course, there are a lot of speeches and a lot of rhetoric and um, maybe not many hearts and minds get changed, but I have seen occasions over the years when they do. And I have definitely seen many, many occasions over the years when good pieces of legislation are never, ever um, given a chance to see the light of day. Um, because it's not in the best interests of uh, the party in power. Um, And, you know, I think Elisa and I would both tell you that a lot of these ideas that we're going to suggest to you as solutions don't see the light of day because of the two people in control in Springfield deciding that's not in my best interest if I'm going to remain speaker or Senate president.
1: Lisa, I do want to hear from you, too, on this.
3: Uh, There's a number of things. Um, For for one thing, this is a story primarily about lobbyists um, and the power of lobbyists and how lobbyists operate in Springfield. And the relationships they have with legislators, I think many people on the street would be surprised at the kind of relationships lobbyists have with legislators. I think they would be shocked in many cases. And I don't mean to knock lobbyists here. I'm a registered lobbyist. Madeline is probably a registered lobbyist. We believe yep. that l- lobbyists are essential to democracy and there's a real role for them to play um, in, in advocating for for causes and educating legislators. But the relationship has to be balanced and it has to be healthy. um, And there have to be rules around it. So we would like to see healthier boundaries around the lobbying relationship, for example, with a real meaningful revolving door provision. Um, We have added most, the vast majority of states have a one to two year waiting period when a legislator retires from the legislature before they can become a lobbyist. And the reason for this is, again, so that you know a legislator isn't sitting next to his buddies in the legislature one day and lobbying them for ComEd or some other wealthy interest the next day. Um, and legislature didn't go for it. They gave us a really weak revolving door period that had a huge loophole you could drive a truck through. So we are still at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to other states in this very basic good government respect that most other states um, do better than us at. And um, we've also talked about legislative oversight and the fact that we have an inspector general the person who is in charge of investigating ethics complaints, for example, that has very little independent power. How are you supposed to have an oversight mechanism that is controlled by the people you're overseeing? It doesn't make any sense. It's, the fox watching the hen house. And yet we have an inspector general who has to rely on legislators to get permission to do very basic things, including published reports about ethics violations. And we saw the consequences of this um, with our previous inspectors general, including one who said that legislators squashed a, a report of serious misconduct by a sitting legislator. Um, we still don't know where that what was in that report. Maybe it involved some of this. We have no idea because the inspector general wasn't allowed to publish her findings. So oversight is essential. And then I'll talk about this concentration of power that we see. Madeline alluded to it a bit when she was talking about uh, redistricting and, and who how legislators get power. I'm going to talk about it in terms of campaign finance, one of the big ways that Madigan collected all of that power and used it with his caucus and insulated himself from accountability was by by controlling millions and millions of dollars that he distributed, much like he distributed these jobs that ComEd um, associates were, were giving him.
2: And, um, scores this was, and scores of campaign workers that he doles out to his caucus members. Right. Well.
3: Right. That's how he got all of this loyalty that really built a moat around him where people were afraid to speak up. Because if they did, then they might find that their campaign funding fell through fell through the floor or that their opponent, they were all of a sudden facing a primary opponent. So that hugely disproportionate amount of power. And we're seeing that continue post-Madigan. The Senate President and the Speaker of the House, Chris Welch are using similar campaign finance loopholes to collect millions and millions of dollars and they're using it the same way. Um, So we're seeing a lot of the same trends. We obviously hope we won't see the same consequences, but there's a lot of work to do in terms of the laws that we have that can prevent this kind of thing from happening again. Or at so, least reduce the possibility.
1: So, Madeline Dubek, uh, what can pass? What could you actually envision seeing uh, change? And and may, especially at this time, where all attention is focused on it, what do you think uh, we might see uh, in the in the coming year or two?
2: Well, you know, I'm not gonna hold my breath waiting for any of these things to pass. I'll be completely blunt about that unless we all start speaking up um, and and putting pressure on these officials to do these things. I think uh, that Elisa just nailed one that we have been fighting for together for many years, which is fully empowering a fully independent legislative inspector general And by the way, let's also add some people who are not elected officials to the Legislative Ethics Commission, which is the body that is granting that Legislative Inspector General power to do things or or keeping it from that person. Um, And the revolving door that that Elisa referred to on lawmakers becoming lobbyists, um, those are two that should be attainable. Illinois is behind the nation when it comes to that. Um, the majority of states have at least a two-year cooling off period. That should be the case in Illinois, no question.
1: Are you seeing any warriors down there? or, or And are the numbers growing? People uh, who are being elected to the legislature who are saying, yeah, we, we, we agree with you, and we're we're going to carry these bills.
2: I think and we are. I, I think I, we are. You know, I think the fact Elisa
1: that- Elisa is like almost laughing there. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I'm, I'm going to- as, as much as I just said a second ago, I'm not going to hold my breath. I will say that I do think that there are good people in Springfield who want to do the right thing. Um, and let's give credit where it is due. Ultimately, um, 19 of them got rid of the Speaker of the House- Mike Madigan a few years ago. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, more and more of them want to do the right thing, but there still is this bottleneck at the top and we've got to figure out a way to um, persuade those people and build up the pressure to break that bottleneck.
3: I think Madeline's absolutely right about that. I We've had a tremendous amount of turnover in the legislature over the last few years. And um, there are many, many new members that, we're, that are probably only now trying to get their feet under them. And that we're trying to figure out who we can work with on, on some of these issues. And I think that turnover might be a positive thing, um, long-term, we'll see, time will tell. But I don't, I don't want um, us to feel hopeless about this at all. Because think progress does happen. And sometimes it happens in unexpected times and in unexpected ways, but it really does happen. You get the right person in office, in the right position, you get the right scandal, you get the right confluence of events. I think we've seen real progress on ethics in Chicago. Um, and I think that many of us never thought we would see anything like that. Uh, and I think that should... While there's still plenty of work to do in Chicago, I don't, I don't wanna give the impression that everything is fixed over there <laughs> by any means. But in the past few years, we've really seen some really um, meaningful steps to address ethics in Chicago. And I think that um, we, we can see it in Illinois and we have to expect better from our representatives. Um, Madeline is right that we have in Illinois sort of a learned helplessness And people just say, well, nothing can be done. And that's not true. If legislators hear that people care about these things, they will make changes. Um, So I, while I'm not exactly holding my breath either, I'm not putting my hope away. Um, I definitely think we can make progress on this, and we just have to keep working at it.
1: I, I, I do want to thank both of you. That's Madeline. Well, first, the person you just heard is Elisa Kaplan of Reform for Illinois. Also, I want to thank Madeline Dubeck of Change Illinois. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM.
0: Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app, the biggest sports radio stations in the country, providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives, streaming live and always available on demand.